sort of run, almost like you're running, kind of just looking at the ground. And then when you look up, you find, okay, well, I'm on top of this little hill here. And there's some other hills over there, and then some other hills over here. There's a mountain range over there. And the sun's kind of at about four o'clock in the afternoon, point in the sky. So there's still time, maybe if I run off the hill now, to try and get onto the other hill, which I like, look of. But there's a chance that something might go down before I make it up that hill and I was stuck in the valley in the night. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we are getting better acquainted with Richard. Hello, Richard. Hello, Dave. How did you meet me? Okay, so I, I suppose I first met you at Lancaster University. We both studied theatre studies together, and at the first meeting of the year group, I remember seeing you in your hat that you're wearing and sort of bead necklace, and then chatting to you as we were left. And I, I probably thought you were very, kind of an interesting character. You had an interesting hat. I thought this person's obviously got something about them. Yeah, I guess we just became friends. I can't remember how, sort of exactly how our friendship developed since then, but like from that point to then you being in our kitchen most of the time and yeah. at parties and doing plays together and all the rest of it. But I'm not sure how it, how it happened either. I mean, you, you were dressed very interestingly as well, I remember. You always, <laughs> you've got quite a distinctive way of dressing as well. I think I was quite intimidated by you, actually, because you're, you're quite an attractive guy oh, and quite so. uh, imposing, quite, quite tall, and you, you're quite posh, so all that, that, <laughs> that stuff was intimidating. But I don't know, I think, didn't we, we, got, we got put into groups, didn't we? And we were in the same group. So we had to spend a lot of time. That's right. Together. Yeah. Yeah. So the first year project we were doing music together. Yeah. And so because of that, we became friends. And then yeah, yeah I spent all my time no, in your kitchen, in. as you said. Yeah, there we go. What do you do now? So at the moment, I am a relationship manager for theatre with the Arts Council in the southeast of England. The relationship manager, essentially, Dave, means anyone who, or the person in the Arts Council who holds or manages the relationship between the Arts Council and its clients, whether they be artists or organisations, people in receipt of money for their work or people who are wanting to be in receipt of funding for their projects, local authorities who are also issuing their own funding programmes or fund, you know, funding for different art projects. And so it's, it's the person who manages the relationship between the Arts Council and the outside sector. Okay. Well, that's a a very thorough description. I sort of feel I have to describe it because when I say the relationship manager at the Arts Council it sounds slightly mysterious. No I know what you mean it's like when I say I'm an early years library outreach worker. Exactly. And people are like what the hell? And I'm like oh, I sing and yeah. to tell stories to kids. I'm sure the private sector has equally obscure job titles. Oh definitely. Okay good. <laughs> well they probably sound a bit more kind of forward and go-getting. Right. Rather than sort of outreach and relationshipy, bit more yeah. kind of yeah. Um, okay, Rich. So you're a small boy, <laughs> and your parents won't let you play with guns. That's true. What What do you do? Oh, well, apparently, and I don't really remember this. I don't. I don't. My mum says tells me that she, when I was born, because I'm the oldest of two, and so as, as their first child, they thought right, well. Let's make a principled... Actually, it's funny me recounting this story and thinking about my parents at the same age as I am now. 
having these slightly hippie leanings and principal stands on things. Anyway, so they had a principal stand about me not playing, not being allowed to play with guns, like toy guns. And then eventually I started building toy guns out of Lego. <laughs> and then, at that point my mum decided to relent on this amnesty and uh, yeah, allow me to play with you know, yeah, cap guns and things. So my, I have memories quite from of having you know, a nice metal cap gun with a holster and everything else. I think my parents were quite encouraging of me to have well, if he's going to have guns, they may as well be good quality guns. <laughs> and so um, my dad was quite partial to kind of metal replicatory cap guns. So sort of cowboy and Indian style guns, but that look a bit like revolvers and are made of metal and probably hurt your brother. If the you ones that them. turn around, the actual chamber turns around? Yeah, although okay. actually the better ones, it seemed, were the ones... Because Interestingly enough, Dave, <laughs> I remember there being two types of caps. The one which are kind of a long bit of paper that kind of curl up inside the gun and go through and the other ones being on a sort of yeah, little plastic circle which you dip, put inside the gun. And the plastic circle ones were always disappointing and never quite, they didn't always bang. Whereas the other ones seem to be more reliable. But my, and I have one gun in particular. See now it sounds like I've got a range of guns. In my, uh, <laughs> in my arsenal, in my private arsenal as a child, I had uh, one gun which the, whole, the, the plastic handle broke and my dad um, kind of carved an, a wooden handle for it. And it's a really nice job. And uh, I think that's still knocking around somewhere in a shed in my parents' house, I think, I hope. But it was a really nice thing. I mean, it all sort of fell apart and rusted a lot, but, but the handle was, yeah. It's... So they let you play with guns, but the way that you got around the issue was to build your own guns. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. It, it probably doesn't come from any kind of, as I say, I don't, I don't remember, so it must have been, it must have been very small, like three. And so, it, I suspect it just came from seeing cartoons where people have guns or ray guns, probably, and going, that's fun, that's cool, and then just making it out of Lego, rather than thinking, I'm not allowed those guns, I'm going to define my parents by making one out of Lego. No, I suspect it wasn't, because I mean, you, 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 didn't, you don't really have very much of an urge to defy your parents, do you? I mean, that's not something that, that you feel. That's interesting, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I've never really had a, a very strong teenage rebellion phase. Now that I'm getting married, and and uh, and uh, I sort of can see why maybe it would have been good to have done that a long time ago. <laughs> why did you say that? Just the premises with I love my parents very dearly, and they're wonderful people. But um, I think if I had set a precedent that sort of, a sort of greater independence, then uh, I don't know, they might have just left us to getting marriage stuff sorted out. I want to know actually. I suppose it's, this is a very difficult because I don't want to say that I don't welcome their help and support, so I absolutely do, but I suppose it's at the same time. They're used to you going with what they want. I suppose so, and yeah. You, and at this moment in your, in your Thanks, time, exactly. you have different things that you, you want from this day, and that you are in a situation where you haven't had a precedent set that you can say no to. Dave, that's very articulately put, and I would, yeah, I agree with that. I think the only thing I'd, I'd, I'd say is different, actually, is that Describe, yeah, I mean, is that the actually we probably want exactly the same thing from the day, it's just that we have a different idea about how we achieve that. Yes, no, that's fair the, enough, um, yeah. And I think that's 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 the other thing. I think it's interesting because I think at the same time, and this sort of sounds like I've always gone along with my parents and things, I think maybe the thing is they've always more or less allowed me to do whatever I want or follow whatever whim that I was interested in or or what have you. So 
they've always been very, very supportive. And yeah. I guess that means I've never necessarily felt the need to rebel because, you know, I guess when I was growing up, I was interested in doing art and drama, and they never stopped me doing art and drama and just encouraged me and put me in. I said, oh, I fancy doing these extra classes in, in art, for example, that, you know, they'd, they'd go out and find those classes for me and say, how about you sign up to this thing and all that thing. And I suppose, they're, so they're, in a sense, though, I guess they're, they're not pushy parents exactly, but I guess they're interested in me, have always been interested in me kind of pursuing my, the things that I've perhaps had a strength for or, yeah. you know, so I mean that well that's the interesting thing about your upbringing I think one of the interesting things on paper you've got quite conventional parents I mean they're not when you meet them uh, they're lovely but on paper you know you, they're relatively well off you come from Bracknell and it's, it's a very kind of relatively Wokey I'm sorry yeah. Easy, that's it there you go I've stepped into a class floor right there um, and, and so you've got the kind of background that people would think you would have been pushed to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, but you weren't. Hmm. It's interesting, because I suppose if they had pushed me to do that, again, it's a, it's a difficult thing to exactly pinpoint, but I think I feel like I've got a strong sense of, of self in terms of what I'm interested in or, or want from things that can withstand a certain amount of knocking around and I'm, you know, Quite a certain amount of flexibility, of course, but but I think yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, if I think if my parents had tried to push me towards being a doctor or or dropping art in favour of mathematics, I don't know whatever it is, then I would have probably kicked back, and then there would have been some big you know, teenage period. But actually, they were they were quite happy for me to 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 push up the things I was interested in, and that meant that yeah, I was. Had no, yeah, again, like I said, no real need to. Uh, I mean, and that's the thing. You, 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 you had a. Would you would you describe your childhood as happy? Yeah, definitely. I'm very. I feel very fortunate to have the childhood that I had. And then your teenage years were also happy. Would you say? Yeah, I suppose I get. Well, well, you go all the way to say, eighteen, yeah. childhood. Yeah. Like I sort of alluded to a, a few times, probably already. I mean, you know, for for me, it was interesting to meet you because you were the first person who I would call posh that I became friends with and I realised hang on you know they're just, they're just human beings too interestingly enough I mean you went to grammar school didn't you yeah my dad also went to grammar school but he went to grammar school so long ago yeah, yeah. that I don't even connect that with him in my mind normally I, uh, I only remembered that when I was kind of uh, talking to him about his war right, right, right. existence I do think that people who have wealthy, I guess, or middle-class backgrounds to sit or, and who go to grammar school or, or later who go to Oxford and Cambridge, which you didn't do, interestingly. Not for what I'm trying, Dave. Did you try? <laughs> yeah, I applied to do fine art at Oxford and, uh, twice and didn't get in. Didn't even get an interview. I think because my... Well, part, probably, maybe... Let, let's, let's just put a punt on it and say, oh, well, not good enough. But... Um, <laughs> but, uh, but but I suppose more specifically, I'd, I'd say that when I was, because I was trying to do fine art with my portfolio and I'd had, I don't know, I think I wasn't, and maybe if I had a big rebellious period and then maybe it would have been different, but I suppose my, what I'm trying to say is that my, my portfolio had one very neat illustration project in it and one very neat sculpture project and one very neat uh, fine art, like painting project, and rather than demonstrating some sort of 
personal flair, flair or kind of deeper inquiry into a particular thing which all the work kind of feeds into. It had this sort of loose theme of giants, but it wasn't. It didn't all kind of connect together in the way that would indicate that I had something very compelling or interesting to contribute to the world of art. And so you agree with with Oxford in their assessment? Well, basically, they didn't. They Based didn't, on they that didn't I mean, this is just my kind of me second guessing why they didn't give me an interview. Okay. I think at, the, at that time I I didn't have a strong sense of what it meant really to be an artist. And I think that's what they were sort of looking for, perhaps. So if you, if you have a very independent sense of your work and what you want to put out there and how, it, and how everything seems to kind of tie into this particular world view or line of inquiry or something. Something to say, yeah. And I think that's what I sort of failed to put across in my, in my portfolio choices. Did you have something to say? Yeah, I think so. There's some strands in there which I you know, could have... I could have been pushed to draw out more strongly, perhaps. Okay. Know, but I think, no, I probably wasn't ready for that sort of course. Although, as, it's funny, funny enough, I kind of, this was sort of on a massive tangent, really, but um, I remember after, they did a foundation course, so if you're doing fine art, for those who really don't know how it works, but you do basically, most people do a foundation course after school where you have exploded all your preconceived ideas about what doing art means because usually at school you kind of do a project and you're encouraged to find some sort of figure from art history and basically copy, copy what they him, do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so for example you might find Mondrian and go okay well here's, here's his process of abstraction I'll do a picture of that tree and you apply the same process to get to the same sort of end product and then you get good marks for that kind of thing. Then you get to foundation, foundation course and foundation course is there to say well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And forget all that things you've, you've taught. What's actually what have you got to say? And and have you thought about being a fashion designer or an illustrator or a whatever? And then you apply to art at a university or art school. And I, coming from a grammar school background and and also you know my kind of background generally. I suppose I kind of had it in mind that I should go to university. University was the right thing to do, not art school, it wasn't proper. And the, that meant I kind of restricted my choices to, I think, the Slade at UCL, the Goldsmiths course, Oxford, Western School of Fine Art there, and Lancaster University, because these were the four university courses I found that I went to and it seems, I don't know. I don't know why I chose Lancaster, I didn't even like Lancaster when I came up there. But, um, <laughs> Actually, no, I know it was, but I'll tell you that in a second. Yeah, I went up to Lancaster. Lancaster is the only place to let me in, 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 in the end. And then I was applied to do, in the first year, you were supposed to do two courses, and I always liked doing theatre. And so I applied to do theatre as well, and had one an interview because, because it, doing a foundation course, you apply late, and so the theatre course let, you, let me audition because uh, an American student was also applying, and they thought, an American student, that's money. We'll do a special audition, and this other person wants to come along, so we'll let him audition at the same time. And uh, Nigel Stewart, who was the tutor there, who was leading this audition, had us dragging each other around by the hair, blowing raspberries in each other's faces, doing all this kind of wild stuff. I just, it just felt like we were on a kind of sort of surreal trip. It was amazing. And I That's thought, wow. That was a theatre study space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. most people kind of normally kind of interview in groups of 16 or something like this. Yeah, they were, big, they were big groups yeah. that I went to. There was just two of us in this one with Nigel making us do, like, I think he was slightly annoyed that he had to do this special edition, so he was making us do all sorts of 
bit you know, over the top stuff. But I loved it. I thought this is this is mad. This is great. We're come here. So I think that was it was actually the theatre course that made me go there. And then I spent the first year not enjoying the art course and making all this protest work and then dropping the art. I think they gave me two marks above a fail. And then uh, yeah, did the theatre. You chose theatre and, and yeah. I mean that's an interesting yeah. So okay. But we've digressed. We have gone point? on a few times. Tang- we've gone on a few tangents, so I'm going to try and bring it back. Yeah, good. To the initial thing, I want to come back to uh, your th- your art and, th- and stuff later. Okay. So what I was saying is that that people who've had a kind of privileged upbringing, yes, have this kind of confidence. Confidence. Yeah. yeah that I don't have, and it gets you things. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're completely right. Uh, we went, uh, this other day we were at this conference on producing and there was a keynote speech by a lady called Helen Marriage who's the producer who did you know the Sultan's Elephant that walked through London and, yeah. and that was like a five year trying to persuade London to close its central streets for the art happening and uh, you know so she's an exceptionally gifted and able producer but one of the things that gives her that ability is that she has you know, a certain kind of confidence which comes, I, mean, I don't know her background, I could be completely wrong and it could be that she's actually just very confident and I don't know, but but I, I suspect it's a confidence that comes from exactly what you're describing, that kind of a security as you're growing up perhaps and kind of a, a sense of entitlement to a certain sort of, to certain people or, or, or access to certain people or uh, a certain sort of lifestyle, a certain existence with a certain, it's a strata of society. And it's interesting, so someone else that I was talking to was saying that they actually had an interview to be an associate producer with Artichoke, which is her company. And one of the questions they asked her in the interview was, okay, so you're doing Sultan's Elephant and you've, you've got the kind of the, the base of operations, which is a brownfield site in Greenwich. It's all being installed, everything's like moving in on the Sunday to set up and and the phone line isn't being installed by BT as it was supposed to be. It has to be there. What do you do? And so the interviewee said that they'd try and get hold of someone at BT and try and get hold of a manager or you know, whatever it was. And, and in the meantime, maybe try and find some mobile situation that was tied to them over. And then afterwards asked, asked what they did. And they said, well, we phoned the chair of BT. <laughs> and, and I suppose it's... Yeah, I don't know. You have to be a certain kind of person to get to the chair. Yeah, to be able to. Well, first of all, have a have some sort of spurious contact who knows someone who knows someone who knows the chair of BT. But also that the confidence to go right. I'm going to speak to the chair of BT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that has been that has been somehow in your the what field. Would you, what of would you have done? Vision. I mean, you wouldn't have gone to the chair of BT. No, I suppose. I thought about this afterwards, and it's very easy to, with <laughs> with time, thinking about what you would do in the situation, rather than actually being in the situation. But yeah. I guess there's, there's a sort of two-pronged one being the try and get whoever you can at BT who's high up enough that they might be able to do something about it, and the other one being go down to the O2 shop and see if you can get enough pay-as-you-go's mobile phones that and some sort of, just speak to them about what's possible, about sharing a number or something like that provides a solution yeah I mean that's the thing you don't get paralysed I mean that's right. the thing but then I don't I don't know I don't get paralysed either I mean I, no, no, exactly. but it's it, it is it's a different it's it's what I like about the way it's exhibited within you 
<laughs> is that you're one of the people who's had that, but you you're relaxed with it generally. Like, for example, when you helped me move house and you were driving a van, yeah. you just you just went, let's do it without maps. Let's just follow the <laughs> let's just follow the, the road signs. It'll be an adventure, and you know that kind of belief that it would work out happened and there was no angst about it like I mean if I went let's have an adventure let's do about road bears, I'd be like fuck fuck where are we and I'd get really stressed <laughs> out and you're just really relaxed about it right. I mean and, and in fact and that uh, that's interesting isn't it because that's, that's that's a really that's a key observation I mean that kind of that's that kind of sense of uh, yeah of things will work out and I don't know like that gives you a well, they don't just work out by themselves. That just that I don't know. There's not a sense of anxiety like we're going to be stranded on the side of the road and have to stay yeah. overnight, or even if we do, that's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even if they do, that's not a problem yeah. that you've got. That I would. That's what I would like. Because I mean, I, I, I mean that's that's yeah. That's I mean that's the the main thing. I mean, because because I mean because like you said, you had a happy childhood. Yeah. So you haven't got any kind of angst stuff from sort of family like, yeah. life. So you don't think, oh, because you do meet people who, you know, partially been to Oxford, all that stuff, who still have the same kind of angst as I have because they've had a complicated family life. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they've had some I terrible guess thing a, happen. What's in your imagination is the worst that can happen. Yeah. And the worst that can happen in my imagination isn't that bad. And the worst that can happen in your imagination is it's terrible. It's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's really interesting. The, I don't know if we can talk about it, really. Uh, <laughs> but if you can't, don't. But uh, well, can you maybe you can edit, edit it out if uh, if it's not okay. But basically, it's, 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 it's going to say the difference in our reaction to the story of <laughs> wedding. Okay. Without going into the detail, it sounded like it was a very tense thing, um, sort of a lot of family conflict over the day, and told us both the same story independently of each other. And I think my reaction was to sort of oh, that's a funny that's funny oh well and you know it's a funny story to tell I'm sure it will be fine in the end you know you're going to have to make up and you, I think you had a very different reaction yeah no I was yeah very like oh my god that sounds horrible that must have been really terrible oh that's really you know that's really dramatic and upsetting now maybe it's like just thinking about it now maybe, maybe because when people have told me those stories like that in the past they usually have it's usually in the context of that funny old story when we fell out and actually it's all okay now and maybe you've heard those stories in the context of that was what happened before we got we divorced or before this happened or you know before something yeah. serious that in, has affected the rest of our lives well definitely happened. I mean the thing is in my experience arguments never end Fam like, it, like you're always negotiating these things for the rest of your life like over this last weekend I went home and interviewed my mum and one of the things we talked about was family dynamics and, and problems in that you know we were both talking about the fact that we, we have personality flaws that we're always working through you know we're always trying to, to stop having those flaws uh, and it, it never ends it's a never ending process where you can have good days or bad days but nothing's ever all right whereas for you everything's always all right which is cool I mean good yeah yeah but I know you mean it gives you a very different perspective on things and yeah very different yeah so it's, it's a very different set of expectations in terms of what 
you imagine might happen. And, and you haven't, I mean, and, and, and I think it's, it has set you in good stead. You haven't really had any knockbacks in some ways. I don't know if you've always, I don't know if you're exactly where you'd like to be in your life in all, in all ways, who is? But, yeah. but, you, but you know, you've, always, you've moved on at every stage in your life, you've sort of progressed on. Actually, you're, you're kind of going up the ladder and yeah. you've stopped making art as much. Yeah, right. yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I mean, as much. I mean, you've been generous by saying that you know, stop making art uh, as much. You, you, could, you could easily say no, stop making art at all, and that wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, has that been a decision? No. That's sort of been what's... Hi there. Um, anyone so, up here for the comedy tonight? The doors are open. I should explain at this point we're in a pub called the... What's the pub? Rose and Crown in Wolfenstow. Rose and Crown in Wolfenstow and that's, that's why you can hear things in the background like a guy asking people about comedy. Yeah, Richard Herring is uh, performing tonight. Is he really? Part of the uh, Wolfenstow Comedy uh, Festival. It's, I tried to get a ticket but it was sold out which meant I could do this evening with Dave which is a bonus. Well, I've seen Richard Herring. He's a, yeah, is he good? He's, he's changeable. He's good when he's good. Yeah, that's what I'll say. It'd be interesting to see how it is because it's, it's a really the Rosencrown is a pub, pub theatre. So there's a small performance space upstairs, and I've only ever been there once, which was the last weekend to do a for a dance class, a swing dance class, which is which is nice. There's only me and Sarah there. And Sarah's my partner, and um, seems to be wife. Seems to be wife, who you all have heard on a previous episode yeah. of Getting Better Acquainted. And yes, yeah, so it's a nice small space up there, and so yeah, packed out with 50 people for a comedy should be quite good fun. Getting back to the, the, the key issue. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, I think every single step we've taken has been a step away from actually making stuff. So I left university and demonstrated theatre company, and then started doing the Fresh Festival, which is a new sort of one-day nomadic festival of new work, which they performed in a few times. I did, indeed. We went from that to programming in a venue in Liverpool, and then we went from that to working at the Arts Council. So every step's been kind of a, again, kind of move away from making, making stuff, putting stuff on, yeah. And so, and I don't know, I'm not entirely... I'm not entirely comfortable with that. It hasn't been a conscious choice. I suppose it's just been the, I don't know, the things that have come up that I thought that, that sounds like a really interesting opportunity, or that sounds like a, I'd, I'd be interested to see what it's like to do that job. So at the Arts Council, for example, you know, you, on the outside of the Arts Council, when you depend on their funding for different things, as I was for with Demonstrate and with the Fresh Festival, you sort of wonder what it must be like on the inside of that when we first met each other we both made a lot of art yeah that's what we did in our in our different ways i mean i i was sort of when i was making my notes i was sort of looking at all this stuff and i uh, like thinking about all the things that you've done and i, I realized that you're sort of we're very different people but we make we're very similar in in in, in art terms in that we both do lots of different things like You've, you've done visual art, theatre, live art, comedy, music, dance. Hmm. Same with me. I, I've done lots of different things, and I'm, I'm always sort of moving between writing and, yeah. you know, and all that. And, and, it, and it's the same with you in theatre. You've acted, you've directed, you've written, you've, you know, you, you like to try lots of different things. 
and we're, we're both similar in that respect. And at uni, we're both we were both very similar in that we were both always making stuff. Yeah. We were very art. Yeah. Is our life. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but I was more dramatic about that. <laughs> Whereas you just got on with it. That's yeah. I guess sort of. It's funny to me, you look back at your what you did, what we did in the, the second year, particularly, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't the same, it wasn't quite the pressure of the third year in terms of the coursework and things, but, but yeah, we just, there's so many projects that we just did. Well, we're in a house with lots of creative people, I think that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just keeps, there's a buzz to it, and you've got the time. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to fit it into your working life. But you seem to you seem to do a very good job of that. Yeah, but I've chosen to do jobs that allow me to do it. That yeah. aren't as high profile. Don't have now I'm working part time as well. Yeah. And I have had periods of time where I haven't done any art because I've been so busy with my jobs or depressed or tired or whatever from the jobs. Yeah. But you 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 cho- you've chosen jobs that require some I think that you've chosen jobs that require your creative parts of your brain to be engaged with those jobs. Yeah. So programming a festival, you have to engage with all of the art that's happening and you have to try and make, you know, you're making a compilation CD of a <laughs> theatre, you know, or, or yeah. live art. And, you know, now you're, you're, are you judging of a, are you judging what art gets money? I mean, how's that working, Poacherton, Gamekeeper thing? So, to an extent. So you're so when you're doing that, when you're looking at art and deciding what needs to to get cut and what doesn't need to get cut and stuff, you're you. I guess you contribute to that process. Yeah. You're giving ideas, aren't you? Yeah. I guess it's it's not as probably fortunately the arts council set up in such a way that it isn't possible for one person to kind of really go off on one yeah. about what they think should and shouldn't be funded. There's quite a lot of checks and balances in place that make sure that I don't get, just get my way. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, for the greater good. Uh, but yeah, you do. It's, what's been really fascinating and enjoyable has been that. I don't, I don't know if all my colleagues will necessarily agree with this perspective, but that it feels like, especially compared to where I've worked previously, it feels like what you, your ideas, what you think about something. Is really listened to rather than they go okay well you're just the weirdo kind of happy-go-lucky arty person in the corner you'll just take that with a pinch of salt thanks richard good night yeah yeah it's interesting when i when i just after university yeah. working at a call center that was really productive because you start at nine or nine thirty and then you finish at five thirty or six whatever it was and it's very disciplined and literally people would like put their phone out midway through a call or bang on six o'clock and if you were there at two minutes past six people would give you weird looks like what are you, why, why yeah, are yeah. you still on that call you know wrap, wrap it up we're going home and uh, I'd say you know go home which I, I live five minutes away go home go for a run and a nice run go back and I get back at yeah, seven have a shower and then I think the whole evening was free to sit on my computer and do stuff for the theatre company at the time and I didn't have a girlfriend then or did I have a girlfriend? Well certainly she wasn't around but I didn't have a girlfriend. I don't think you did. I don't think I did. And I'm so gonna venture that opinion. Yeah, that discipline was really constructive and that's what I'm describing and being able to kind of work around your job and do other things. Well that's why I've always chosen jobs 
like that 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 have hours that are very definite. I mean, the higher up you get in these kind of organisations, the more your free time gets interfered with. Yeah, you have yeah, to stay yeah. late, or you have to go to this meeting, or you have to go to this dinner, or whatever yeah, you yeah. have to go to do, and network, yeah. and all this stuff that you have to do. I have a little bit of that, but I mean, I guess I have to see a lot of shows in the evening, which is great fun, but yeah, it does mean that, because I work in Brighton, I live in London at the moment, and so the times when I'm working, just working in Brighton, come back and I'm, it takes me it's sort of two hours door to door so if I leave at six it's already eight eight thirty when I get home and then it's what do you, you know, do in your commute either do a bit of work on the laptop read the paper or do the crossword you've got to find some way of making art during that commute that's right then. You're, you're right or even just read a good book yeah that will inspire you yeah yeah, yeah. Well, so you know podcasts are quite good yeah yeah yeah, it is. That's what I should do. Make better use of that time. But then, yeah, so if that's like two nights a week, and then two or three nights a week I'm at the theatre seeing something, then I know, the time that you get to spend, I get to spend with Sarah is going to get Yeah, and it's important to spend it. time with your partner. Me, me and Jen have like, yeah, yeah. recently gone, right, we have to spend one night a week. Yeah, yeah, Jen's for that. So I guess it's because Sarah's you know, freelancer, so that means she's on the. Yeah, she, she, she'll be emailing at you know, whatever time and it's, it's, sometimes it's difficult to you know, by the time you've got home and you've made dinner and then actually then it's sort of time to kind of start thinking about going to bed or if you're wedding tour or doing some wedding stuff or you know, whatever it is yeah. and it's difficult to say to spend that time yeah so these these jobs do so that's your excuses eat your way up yeah and they're valid excuses I think they are valid excuses I do think it's hard sometimes there are times when it's really hard to make work by which I mean art and everyone goes through those periods of time but I mean you're going to go back to art yeah yeah well that's the idea what do you think that's great so um, when's your birthday Uh, 6th of October so you 30 on 6th of October yeah so I'm already 30. Yeah, I know. Already, I've already hit that. Oh, is that your party? Yeah, you, you, you got the evidence. So, question. It's about at what point... I don't know. As you get older, your, your mind becomes less flexible. You become less able or less willing to, to just do stuff. Yeah, definitely. I don't know, I suppose I'm sort of, I mean, yeah, the plan is to go back to making some stuff, maybe it'd be nice to, to do a bit more theatre directing, but I suppose I'm just sort of getting anxious about how, okay, what, at what point did this, does that stop being possible, or does that start being a sort of slightly fanciful notion, and then a sort of a, a distant memory, and then a bit of a gig. Well, I don't know, I can't really give you an answer on that one. I mean... Personally, I not, I haven't. I mean, I've never stopped, and it's always been my ultimate goal. Yeah. I tend to find that what I do is I just agree to do, or I arrange to do loads of stuff, and then I start doing it, and then that, then I've got no choice. So now I'm releasing this podcast every week, and I aim to record as many conversations as I can by the end of July, so I can do some other projects after that. Yeah. I'm stuck in this thing and now my life has suddenly become oh I'm doing an interview tonight an interview tomorrow night an interview tonight and it's, kind of, and it's hit that kind of event horizon or whatever where, where you just 
you're running on autopilot, you're just looking at your diary and going, oh my God, I just got to do this, I got to do that. And uh, it takes a while to build to this point where you're just sort of putting distant dates away and you're like, oh, I'm relaxed now. And then, and, and it, and then it suddenly hits you and you have to work to basically deadlines. Yeah. And signing, agreeing to do stuff. Yeah. You know, nearly every time anyone offers me a project, I nearly always say yes. Sometimes that's a really terrible way to live your life, but sometimes it's going to be a very, very useful way to yeah, keep me Sarah, going. Sarah's like, I think that's, you know, without her being here to, yeah. to defend herself, she's, she's got a real energy for just going at stuff. And she's older than you, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, you well, can't just say because you're 30. She's, she's, never really, she's never stopped doing... Actually, that's not necessarily true. She, she, at some point in her life, maybe she was like less than 30, but anyway. She get, she said about this on her podcast. She made a very conscious decision she gave up. To, to stop teaching and just do weird playing. Actually, no, no, first of all, it's stop teaching and just do concert playing. Oh, and then okay. And stop doing concert playing. Like, stop doing traditional concerts and then and just do weird stuff. Oh, that's not what she talked about. She, she talked about how she gave up music and then oh, yeah, she yeah, started yeah. again because yeah. she realised that she missed it. Yeah. So she stopped teaching. So, 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 yeah, so just after, I think it was just after she finished studying, she did that. She, she gave up music because I know she felt that she, yeah. at that point she'd be pressured into it. And, well, that yeah. I thought was a really brave and interesting yeah. thing. I think she felt that she was drawn back to it, which is... And what a relief <laughs> but then yeah then later on she then she was also subsidising professional musician work by doing teaching in schools piano teaching and then she, at some point she decided actually I'm going to stop doing piano teaching because it's not what I want to be doing and I'll just concentrate on music and then at another point she decided to stop doing she was doing a lot of accompanying work and just focus on uh, so oh, yeah. career, and then at another point she decided to stop to stop doing concerts of proper classical music and just sort of weird avant-garde compositions and improvisation and experimentation. And yeah. She's in a very privileged position, being having a university job as well, so that she can kind of. Make those decisions. Yeah. Well, she she, 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 she works she's, she's, as an artist, though. That's what yeah. she, that's what her work is. And I guess you make your own luck. So she's she's kind of pushed herself in that, in that direction, and these things have come up. Well, you stopped working as an artist when you decided to stop running a theatre company and start. It was actually the, in October 2007. Was the last thing that we, the Demonstrate Theatre Company did, which was a performance in Warwick, a kind of in progress presentation of about. 40 minutes of a new show and at that point it was just leading up to a build up to where I used to, the venue I used to work at they're building up to um, reopening and I just sort of got wildly distracted by all that stuff and that was quite an intense period of time because the building opened it was a Liverpool Cup of Culture year and it was we'd kind of booked a very ambitious programme of work and hadn't really thought about how we had to deliver it and so we had to kind of work double hard to make everything happen and that meant that that was the momentum on the theatre company was lost. Momentum is very important I think. Yeah. It's like with bands, once your momentum in your band goes you know you should call it a day. Like with Apples for Everyone we lost momentum 
and we didn't call it a day for a long time afterwards, which was a very sort of frustrating thing creatively, I think. I guess the answer to your question, though, Rich, is if you're an artist, you carry on making art. And if you stop making art forever, then you stop being an artist. You can have a year, or you can have three years, you can have five years when you don't have art, or make art. You can be a, you can go off into the wilderness. But if you don't make art again, then that's the, that, that's, then that means that 30 was the period where you decided, oh, I don't want to do it. But if you start making art again, then it wasn't. That's true. I mean, you can wait till you retire. My mum waited till she retired. But I don't advise that. If you want to do it, I think you should do it now. Yeah, there's that thing of it, isn't there? Kind of, and then, so that's an interesting point, though. There's an interesting uh, provocation. If you want to do it, you should do it now. And, you know, Sarah says as much. <laughs> yeah, she says, oh, you know, give up your job, Richard, if you want, you know, get back to making work, I'll support you. I guess there's a. Thanks very much. So glass being taken away. Yeah, there's a band actually setting up in the background, so we might hear them sound checking in a minute. That's fine. So then, so then the question for myself is: Okay, so what's stopping me? And she said this a while ago. Actually, but this is not recently. She said this a while ago. I think when we were still in Liverpool. So what? So what is it? What, what stops me then going? I'll quit my job and just pursue again my own projects and see where that takes me. If my girlfriend could support me to do art and she was doing a job that she liked in order to make the money to support me to do art, I would take that. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? So what, what, so what is it that's my... What's the fear that stops that me making that choice? Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe part of it is that you want to be independent. You don't, you don't want to be a kept man. That might be part of it. Is that yeah. part of it? No, I think so. I suppose. Well, yeah, I think it probably is, probably is part of it. Isn't it. Just thinking about growing up and like, I guess because maybe because my my dad when I was growing up had. He found a lot of personal satisfaction and and success in his career as a project manager. And so he was working in Poland and Ukraine and others um, on projects, installing factories essentially in production lines for shampoo and uh, cleaning products and different, different chemical engineering processes. So I suppose he. As a, I was thinking of trying to kind of do some sort of psychology on this. Yeah. Uh, growing up, the sort of the you know the father figure, my dad. His his success was demarcated through his success within his career. And so maybe to an extent that feels like uh, you know, in terms of the choices I make, that's. I don't know, there's some sort of parallel there in terms of thinking, okay, well, why, why, why then, well, working in Liverpool, I decide to take a job at the Arts Council instead of becoming a kept man and doing art? And probably, possibly, because, you know, sort of the... Because you want... Do you not... I mean, you want to be conventional. 
No, I don't think so. I don't, I mean, I don't feel like that's a kind of a driving force within myself. Maybe it's not that I'd articulate it as I want to be conventional, but that the things that I am naturally drawn towards maybe are conventional. Yeah. So I don't think I want to be conventional, therefore I'll go for that interesting job with the Arts Council. I think that's an interesting job. Going the Arts Council, that's, that's, um, that's pretty, that's pretty rocking. That's pretty up there. But do you think you'll go back to making up? Yeah, I mean, I... Because, I mean, I think it would be a real waste if you didn't. Yeah, I think I'd like to. I think it's, um... I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating to say absolutely yes, because that's... You don't want to be, in years' answer. time, listening back to yourself going, you know, saying the opposite of what you did. Right, right, right. No, not that. I suppose it's more that... I suppose, I guess, the easy and... Perhaps the most obvious thing to say is absolutely yes, of course, and I should. But I suppose I'm just trying to be honest by saying that I don't know. I would go. I guess. I, I guess I'd like to, but because it's how strong is that desire? And and is it? Is it? I mean, is it strong enough to? Um, I, maybe it's a question of am I brave enough to throw away what I've got so far? Not just in terms of like a, a, what you're the ladder, to throw away my wrong on the ladder. For, um, but you surely at some point can get to a point where maybe you can afford to go part time or whatever. You know, there might be other ways that you can find to make space in your life to make up. But then, if you yeah. have children, yeah. which probably won't be that long now. Quite right, Dave, quite so, yeah. Then that's another demand on your time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do, you, do you miss it? Yes, I think so. I think it's also... I suppose... I guess with the Arts Council, the job is... Might. You're sort of you're removed from actually having to do stuff. I mean, there are things you have to do obviously in your job. What I mean is that I might have a meeting with someone where I tell them, "Oh, you should do this one, X, Y, and Z," or "Oh, you should think about this," or "Have you thought about that?" or uh, "Oh, that's an interesting idea. I'll look into the, how that might work within our funding structures or whatever." But I don't actually have to do those things, and I'm, I don't actually have to. To, and I, what I'm saying is that that's the, that's the part I don't miss. So whether I'm talking to an artist and thinking, oh, that's sort of an exciting project, and it'd be so exciting if you did these things, or or that, or talking to a, someone who's running a, a, a company and, and seeing the opportunities and thinking, oh, it'd be so exciting to be in that position, trying to gather opportunities and forge that path. It's not, I suppose it's not necessarily... I suppose it's, it's, I suppose it's the, the roll-up of sleeves, practical side of things, rather than necessarily, specifically about making, you know, so, so you, you miss, but you miss the nugget that is the creating things. I guess it's the nugget which is the... 
getting the show on. I guess that's maybe that's what it is. So I quite like driving the van when Sarah so Sarah did this show in Liverpool where she kind of curated about five different um, people who've made funny piano-based inventions. Yeah. And uh, there's this event which was called Sonata's Pianos, Machines and Institutes, but these different um, artists were assembled and performed. And to make that happen, I drive a van from Liverpool down to London to pick up the different pianos and drive back up to Liverpool. And I guess I quite, I mean, that's a, an extreme example, but I quite enjoyed that, you know, yeah. yeah, kind of getting the show up, getting the show on the road, driving the van, here we go. Feel, and I guess that's that is quintessentially what I miss is that getting the show on. Whether you're involved in getting the show on from the point of view of driving the van or getting the doing the kind of programming and festival organising or venue uh, programming side of it, or whether it's from the point of view of making the thing that gets on. I guess it's the getting it on that uh, you miss. Which is interesting to, to distill it like Because that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing though, because you can make art in your bedroom, but you can't get the show on in your bedroom. Yes. And so maybe it's because you have this kind of desire for art that's successful. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah. it's an audience, I guess. Well, but although you can, like, this is what this podcast is, I mean, this is something I can do in my bedroom and hopefully maybe find the audience on the internet. Yeah. I mean, well, I suppose it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose, yeah. So thinking about when we did our radio show together, yeah, and that was about us the same kind of process. We record something around a microphone, then we noodle it ad infinitum, and I over edit it, yeah, uh, in, in, in my bedroom or whoever's bedroom. We'd either under edit it or over edit it. We'd never get it just right. We yeah. were not the Goldilocks of the uh, <laughs> comedy radio world. Yeah, it was fun having the final product of that. And then being able to make a nice little package and send it out to people. Well, I, think you, I think you might agree with me that the most fun we had during the whole the comedy group called the Training Edge. It was the live show. Was the, was the live show, yeah. yeah. And kind of the, the actual response of an audience laughing at our gags yeah. and everything else was, was really rewarding. And also the kind of the, the, the fun we had putting that show together and having to get all you know, the costumes lined up and then. Because of me and Clive turning up late because we were trying to record the yeah. Frozen Man sketch onto a DVD and, and, we, and all we, stuff. We did loads of rehearsing in our basement with yeah. me having to be naked and we didn't even use that sketch. Exactly. And I bought a pig. I bought yeah. a bit of pig skin to be a foreskin to throw into the audience, but I, I forgot to throw it in. Like we forgot to have it on stage. All things like that. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, I guess that's the kind of that's the sort of maybe it's a slightly uh, rose tinted kind of memory of that whole thing but I think that's the yeah that kind of getting the show on everything coming together for that one moment that very I still get I think get a buzz about that sort of so why don't, when why don't you put on shows things. why don't you put on shows then because you haven't got the time yeah at the moment I don't have the time but um, then if you get a job eventually a different job and the, the, where you're putting on shows then you'll have that feeling again without having to make art yeah, potentially. I think I'd, but I suppose I'd, I guess I'd, yeah. I guess I'd like to be, I've always enjoyed directing, and I think I'd like to, to get back into it. It's interesting, like, seeing this, like, jobs that come up, which are artistic director of this 
or that theatre which require you to make a strong contribution towards directing the the work that happens on those stages mm -hmm. and I suppose I'm just sort of conscious of okay well I don't have a, 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 a CV that's going to get me into those to those you are, I mean you're a skilled director and you run your own company and you've, you've directed quite a few things yeah but I guess it's, it's all the directors I've done it's all my own stuff and I haven't done anything for you haven't done it for other people while, that's yeah. what they like it's like me as a writer like yeah. how can I get a job writing for something if I haven't got a CV that says I wrote for loads of other people yeah yeah if you've, if you've just written for yourself yeah. it's very very hard to break through that barrier yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. so I guess it comes back to that choice of like so do you decide right well I, I really really want to do that so therefore it's really really necessary for me to do direct some shows somehow which might mean doing it in my spare time making the time to do a kind of some sort of fringe show in London or whatever it is and then also going through the whole process of having to raise money to do that and if have you so I sort of described it to someone a while ago and this is I think when I was deciding to leave the Fresh Festival and go and work in a venue and maybe it was halfway through working in that venue, anyway, whatever it was, but the idea of you sort of run almost like you're running kind of just looking at the ground and then when you look up you find, okay well I'm on top of this little hill here and there's some other hills over there and there's some other hills over there, there's a mountain range over there and the sun's kind of at about four o'clock in the afternoon point in the sky so there's still time, maybe if I run off the hill now to try and get onto the other hill, which I like the look of. But there's a chance that something might go down before I make it up that hill and I'll be stuck in the valley in the night. Or, or I might be... Um, or maybe actually it's, it's, it's being on this hill is actually pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, I always just feel like I'm running up a massive mountain with cloud at the top and I can't see the top. <laughs> and I'll never see the top. But yeah. it's worth carrying on running just in case I ever do. Yeah. But I like your analogy, it's a good one. You're a good man for analogies. Yeah, my favourite one, just so I can share this in some kind of public context, is uh, it's about feedback. I remember when I was at university reading our theatre show and our outside eye was giving us feedback and he'd always give us feedback saying, well, have you, why don't you have someone in a, in a sequin dress standing on a box in a spotlight singing a song because that's basically like the outside eye always did in their theatre shows and then the rest of the, the group would get really annoyed that, that he was just suggesting that we did what he did in his shows and, that, and I thought well actually no he's yeah okay we can, we can ignore that suggestion in terms of actually practically what he's suggesting but he's still in his suggestion identifying something that we need to think about in terms of improving our show and so I came up with this neat Chinese metaphor or saying uh, I'd say Chinese is, I don't know Chinese I don't know why you said Chinese they're pretty good at coming up with these sort of sayings okay but um, <laughs> whether you're told that you need a boat or that you need a plane or that you need a bridge all you know is that you have a river that idea that you know so people are always coming you know, well, they're always led like weighed in with their suggestion of what you need but actually all that, all that identifies is some sort of problem that you might have rather than the solution that you might find. It's a great analogy. It's one that I actually tell other people. 
so it's, it's, it's infecting the world. Stuff. It's going so, yeah, viral. So I have it here on, on I mean, authority I, that it's my idea. I tell, I, you know, I, tell, I send it in writing group a lot, a lot of times. If you get co com contradictory feedback, at least oh, yeah, you know that you've got a river. Yeah, yeah. At least you know you know there's a river and that needs to be crossed somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can maybe you can just be an analogist. That can be <laughs> your... my analogist. Yeah, business card, quite nice. So hi, my name's Richard. I'm an analogist. <laughs> the time is pretty much up, I think. Really? So the, the, the question I normally ask people, because it's funny, there's so many things I didn't get to. Like I, I didn't get to the fact that Jen's grand still says she should have hung her hat, hat up with you rather than oh, me from that sorry. time when you when you helped me move house and she met you oh but fair yeah, enough you yeah, know it's a very nice apple crumble you like the apple crumble and i went out for a cigarette and there there, there we were yeah. different classes <laughs> different sides of the of the glass and get to a few other things as well but the, the thing that i ask at this point is do you have anything to plug which is a strange question after you just said you're not doing anything anymore. But do you? Do you uh, no, I don't really. I mean, you can you can take it as a, in any whatever way you like. People have answered some very strange things that they've plugged, really, like hope, stuff like that. I don't know. That was an example. I don't yeah, think yeah, anyone yeah. said that. <laughs> uh, no, nothing. Nothing to plug. Nothing to plug. No. <laughs> Good. I think you might be the first person who just said no, and I think. It's healthy for people to just say no if they haven't. Actually, I don't want to say that. I'll cut that because I don't want to stop people from saying interesting things. But, uh, what were the things that you had on your list? I had improvementism, okay. which is a thing that you and, Me and Russell, Russell did. You know, foundation tool. The idea that you uh, take a crap piece of art in a charity shop, improve it slightly, sell it for slightly more, buy a slightly better piece of art from somewhere else, improve it slightly, sell it for more, and you can work your way up. And eventually, by the one Van Gogh, or Van Gogh, how you pronounce it, self-portrait without an ear, or with an ear, yeah, without with, an ear, without an ear, and then you paint the ear on. <laughs> I didn't know that was the final goal. That was looking at that. The final goal was painting, painting at Russell. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of symptomatic of my approach things of, of uh, seeing the, the possibilities, the possibilities of things being better. Perhaps more than I'm able to see the possibility of something full stop. So I'm much better at improving someone else's idea than I am at maybe coming up with ideas. I don't know. You are very good at improving people's ideas, though. You, you, I mean, I, one time I gave you a musical and you gave me perfect notes, like everything you said, I like did. That's good to say. You are good at you're a good editor, and well, you're a good director. That's what a director is. It's an improvement person, isn't it? I mean, they, they look at what's happening and then they improve. Yeah, I'd be better if you stood there and said it this way. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's the kind of art you generally gravitate when you've made art. You've made devised art where you've got other people, whatever. You've got True. got people to do stuff, and then yeah. you've written down the good bits. Yeah. What is the point and purpose of art? Was one of the questions I was going to ask. Wow, that's a big one. What's the point of purpose of art? Do we have time to work that now? No. Or we're not. No, okay. Not it's really. sort of one of those questions where it's, it's sort of. It's like, it, it's like when you feel an argue about whether something is art or not. It's like, well. It is. Deal with it. We like it or not. Well, I, I guess. I mean, I think the thing is. Yeah, I know what you mean. I guess the thing I always think is, you know, you've got two artists talking about art. And actually, you know, the conversation that we've had 
was quite a down-to-earth, real-world, bread-and-butter people can relate to. But a lot of the time, you've got two artists sitting down talking about art, or two musicians, and this happens a lot as a result of me being acquainted with people who are artists. Yeah. And I don't want the series to just be for artists to listen yeah. to, and I don't want it to be kind of hard to relate to. So I always sort of think, well, a good thing to do is to get people to define why they do it and what it is, and so that, it, so that you know, I guess I want to represent their... The, the view, like my friend Owen, is always getting fed up with artists who talk to him about art. And he he, re- he used to work in a in Chapter Art Centre in yeah. Cardiff. Yeah. And he very lovely place. And he would hear artists come in and go talking on and on and on about their art. And he would be working in the kitchen, and he would think, you know, what the fuck are these people talking about? You know, they're just going on and on about this stuff that doesn't matter. And, he, and he, a lot of people say, my, my little sister always says, you know, art doesn't, people don't care about songs as much as you do, not real people. I think it's an interesting point, actually, because I think that has, there's a tendency for art to be kind of a bit introverted and look in on itself and talk about itself yeah. to itself. Writers who write about writers, generally yeah. annoying, Whereas, but sometimes brilliant. And I think there's, and that, that's created a bit of a thing where, I don't know, I think, yeah, some of the, so let's say to about theatre, that's what I know about, well I don't even know much about it, but that's the thing I know the most about, there's a sort of tendency to feel like, okay, so one of the theatres I really, really love is the Royal Court in London, and I've only recently started going there. And that's because I thought, well, you know, I'm working in the Arts Council, I'm supposed to be interested in new writing, and well, you know, the Royal Court is one of the, the leading new writing venues in the They've country. rejected me very many times. Yeah. Well, it's good that you put it very, put it very <laughs> many times. Keep, 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 keep trying. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll go, go and see a show there. And it's so exciting going there. So there's a real buzz about it. You go in there and everyone's kind of interested in hearing what the new play is about, what the new per- what the, what's this young or... Uh, not even young words necessarily, but this new play, new, that, this new, yeah, yeah. new bit of writing. What, what's this new idea that's there? Well, let's go and let's go and watch this enactment of this idea live on stage in a big group of people, and then just it's just something really exciting about that. And that feels like that's that's the power. That's why art's important. But it's, it's it's just and that's so exciting. I find that I can't even I can't even form a sentence around it because I'm just too excited thinking about it. That idea of of people congregating around this uh, arena where this idea is thrashed around and, um, and I think there's, I don't know, we've, we've almost become a bit scared of that idea and so and so there's this idea that, hey, well, that, that would work in London where there's an audience for that sort of stuff but in the, out in the regions, in, in the towns of the, of the rest of the country apart from the sort of the major urban conurbations that's not really people aren't really interested in that not, not enough people are interested in that idea and actually it's just important that it's a, a fun night out or a, you know. and maybe that's maybe that's true maybe that is the case and and I've just got this sort of naive roast into optimism about what people are interested in but I think I think when art is able to, to impress upon people uh, its ability to communicate a new idea and to help people understand something about their, the condition of their existence, then people 
will get excited about it and go, well, that, that, that's, that's something I want to get, I want to check that out. I want to find out about my condition and my existence because I'm dealing with it every single day. Yeah. And I think it's a shame when we shy away from that because we think, well, there's not really a demand for that time. But people care about it, yeah. But they get what, they take what they can get. Like, so I, I, I think, you know, people say, oh yeah, everyone likes Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, they do, right? I don't. Well, no, you don't. But a lot of people do, right? Right. I don't either. So, you know, whatever. A hundred percent of people. But but a lot of people like like Britain's Got Talent. But that doesn't mean they wouldn't like something else that had the things that were good about Britain's Got Talent in it without the shit things. I mean... Or even like Britain's Got Talent is is one kind of thing. Fine, you like that. Like, I like ice cream but yeah. I wouldn't want to have that for every single meal exactly yeah, yeah. I get sick and I get uh, diabetes and scurvy but it's still, but, it, but I tell you what it is though how much do the tickets to the Royal Theatre Court Theatre cost on Mondays you get a ticket for £10 well, there you go there's your plug there's my but, plug okay this is the big plug isn't it for so, so £10 so twice as much as some cinemas yeah but but actually a lot of cinemas in London are yeah well I'm some, that's why I said pounds. some because I live in London I can get screwed all the time yeah well that's a good thing and the Royal Court is good and the Royal Court is, you know but generally speaking the reason that people don't go to the theatre is partly because they culturally think that that's not their place because it's yeah and the other reason is because it's expensive like 60 quid but they do go to that but they do go to that they do go to that yeah I guess it's because it's like well mm, am I going to like it I don't really know what it is I suppose it's that unfamiliarity people are unfamiliar with it and therefore they think so I'm very familiar with the end of the theatre so I don't necessarily and even I sometimes think oh right so can I bother to go to that theatre and that place that I don't live in to see that show which I might be a bit rubbish uh, or can I, or I go home and watch a much more reliable film that I know is going to be good or just just chill out with Sarah and have a nice dinner you know I guess it's, it's interesting when you so I used to be an absolute addict for seeing anything anywhere and yeah, going yeah. to all sorts of squalid digital places to see all sorts of squalid digital performances and, and now I suppose I've just sort of got a bit weary of that and then you suddenly start realising what what normal people who aren't massive art fanatics like you or I are, are confronted with when, when someone, says, someone says to them, oh, do you want to go to the theatre to see the show? You know, you can kind of empathise, well, why on earth would you? You know, you've got a TV which you know is, is all right. Yeah, you've, you've got, got guarantees. You've, you've got to go home and spend time with your, your family. I don't even have a family, I've only got a girlfriend. Yeah, you can spend that much, you can spend that much in, your pub, in the pub. Yeah, and with your mates and be guaranteed a good time. Exactly. Well, that's that's a part of it. Gamble. If if you made it cheaper, then people will be prepared to go and take a gamble. It's like like you know, well, the, know true, you know how we used to go to the Edinburgh Festival yeah. a lot because we, we did a show there and we did all that stuff, um, and it was great back in the. Back, back when I first started going to the Edinburgh Festival with you, it was great. We'd run about, we'd run between th- show and show. Yeah, yeah. And part of that was important to have mates with you as well, to go with you, because that, yeah. that, that's what made that stuff. These days, I go to too many things on my own, and that's not, that's not fun. But, but then I went back to the Edinburgh Festival when I was really poor. Yeah. And I only had a certain amount of money. And I had to take a gamble on the shows, the same yeah. way you do at Edinburgh every time. And I got really angry and depressed. The, the sh- about the shit ones whereas back in my slightly wealthier more kind of living off yeah. off borrowed money times yeah, yeah, yeah. then I didn't care about the shit ones because I was like oh no never mind yeah. the next one will be good but when, yeah. when it matters when every bit yeah, of money yeah, yeah, counts yeah, yeah. it matters if you go to a shit if you're, if you're, and if your time and your evening matters and your, your money matters and everything else then 
if you go to the theatre and have a bad time, for the next time you, you, you're, you have the opportunity to go to the theatre, you'll think, well, this is the last time I was there, probably should exactly. actually, you know, why? Why bother? I'll go and see this. And also, I guess, with, with film, it happens in heaven knows how many different venues, heaven knows how many times each night, you know, and, and there's so much more publicity because it's, such a, it's a different industry, so they, you know, it makes sense for them to advertise on TV and on serial packets and on bus yeah. shelters and everything else because they're showing it so many different places. And everyone's, and everyone's then saying, oh, have you seen the recent Brad Pitt movie, blah, blah, blah. It's a shared talking point. Exactly. A film is like TV. Exactly. Everyone can talk about it, but everyone doesn't talk about theatre because they haven't all gone to see it. Yeah. That's a very good point. And I think that's why, I don't know, sort of the, kind of the one-night stand touring theatre model, it's, it's got a very limited appeal. I mean, I think it's great that it happened. It's done fantastic work on it, on that sort of circuit. But equally... People who live in a community don't then start talking about that show because they didn't all see it. But there can be something magical though about a show that only happens on one night. Absolutely, absolutely. Like like some of the best shows, I've, nearly all of the shows I've ever done have been limited run. You know, yeah, like yeah. for example, the when the when the middle class bastards played our first gig at the Fresh Festival yeah. to a room full of old ladies and children. <laughs> the first line of which was, "I want to fuck like a Nazi." <laughs> Yeah, that set the tone. That was that was the best line. And that's, I think it's, it's like now by how my parents remember you. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's Dave. Dave, who did the your story dad said with to me, Your dad said to okay, me in yeah. an email, "Are you the writer that like with a fondness for Anglo-Saxon?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I say I say it fondly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but, but I, yeah, I, I was confused by that for a minute, and then I remembered that swearing is Anglo-Saxon. I was like, I had a kind of disconnect. I was like. Do yeah, I, am I, mean, I interested in Anglo-Saxon history? <laughs> I don't know, but 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 yeah, but, but that that show that was a one-off. You know, we never repeated it. Yeah. Hardly anyone ever saw it, but it was pretty good, I thought. And and in fact, that 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 was been the career of the middle-class masters. Every time we've done a show, we've had hardly any audience, but we've had a really good, really good gig. Yeah. Apart from I think I think the one we did for the Fresh Southfield Park, the last one we did yeah, wasn't yeah. that great. I don't know, but but. But there were reasons for that that I won't go into. On the, on the, we've gone quite quite substantially. Over. It's funny, isn't it? It's, it feels feels funny talking about myself for an hour. Oh yeah. Only because it feels like well, people aren't really interested in that because it's, it's self-indulgent. Yeah. But hopefully that the stuff about the royal court and the excitement of art. That stuff was good. Yeah. That's, the interesting thing is you came alive when you were talking about art, but when you're talking about yourself, you're much more hesitant about how you how you phrase. And I think that's, that's quite an interesting thing. I mean, I wonder if that's because yeah. you're someone who's a bit more aware of a microphone. I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's also because... Uh, I don't know if it's just thinking about... Partly thinking, well, partly for the microphone, partly thinking about, okay, well, who on the other end of that microphone, not you with the headphones, yeah. people that, you know, on the podcasts. Are they going to be interested in this? Is this me talking about myself? Whereas, I guess, when I'm talking about art, it's, then it's like, well, actually, I'm just talking about art now. Yeah. And it's almost like my... Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I, I generally had planned to talk about art, but you know, just the way these conversations go. I mean, I, I see them. My analogy is that a conversation is like uh, a journey down a road, and you know, you, you you go one way or you go another. But once you've made that turning, you can't kind of go back. Right. You, you have to keep going forward. So the way that these conversations go is, when I edit them, sometimes, some sometimes I do edit them and put 
t- take a bit of a topic which repeat like you know yeah. put it together and make it but generally I can't yeah. because it's all too interlinked yeah. you can't actually cut the stuff together um, from different parts of the conversation because it's all informed by what's gone before so yeah. it's quite a linear process yeah, yeah, yeah. My, that's what I've been learning about the art conversation anyway yeah. so as the band start in the background it's, it's probably a very good time to, to finish up you haven't got anything to plug well I think I've got the Royal Court you've plugged the Royal Court well yeah well, I'll put a link to the Royal Court Theatre £10 Mondays, is it? Yeah. And uh, it's been a, a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Rich. What do you do? Uh, do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Goodbye, audience. Goodbye. This episode of Getting Better Acquainted was recorded quite a long time ago, last year. Since then, I'm very pleased to say that Richard married his then fiance Sarah. Sarah's already been on Getting Better Acquainted. You can hear her in GBA number five, talking about herself and the amazing things she does with music and I'm also really pleased to say that by the time this episode airs because I'm recording this a a few weeks in the past Sarah and Richard should have had the birth of their first child I'd really like to take this opportunity to say to them both congratulations I'm really looking forward to getting better acquainted with the new kingdom on the block you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at UBA podcast you can find it on Facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way and on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store